0: Company Watch Financial Analytics.
1: Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of our Company Watch Coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick.
0: (laughs) Good morning.
1: As usual, we'll try to keep this to a 15-minute roundup of the main news of the week, as we think it might impact our listeners managing business risks, particularly in credit and supply chain. So today we're recording on Friday the 1st of May. Last week we spent quite a lot of time on the government's pretty jaw-dropping decision to prevent landlords from pursuing normal insolvency pro- procedures against tenants um, who haven't paid their rent. And we will be picking up on that. We haven't seen a draft of the bill that was going to implement these measures yet, but we will pick up on that when it when it becomes available. And I think there it, we're also meant to be seeing a little bit more on the wrongful trading Legislation And I guess this kind of reigniting of the um, going concern audit qualification yeah. provisions as well, I think, in that point. Um, and then the other thing we talked about was trade credits and the proposal from the ABI for government to follow France, Germany and Italy in being the reinsurer of last resort almost, um, which was to enable insurers to continue to provide cover um, to protect the B2B. Credit economy. And again, we haven't heard any more developments on that, but we'll keep a watching brief and, and, and no doubt revisit that when, when we get more information. So, our main topics for this I mean, we have quite a lot, we have a wide range. When Nick and I were doing the prep <laughs> for this podcast, we um, we had quite a long list and we'll try and, and rattle through as much as we can. I think the first thing we want to look at is really that boil down basic the critical need to keep cash flowing in the economy. And on that front, we've got some pretty spectacular COVID impacts on profits from the the big banks that we want to talk about the implications. But that really is we're coming out the other side of this and what that means for potential recovery. And then also um, the other big news is private um, equity-backed organisations. And it seems that there is some um, doubt about whether they will be eligible for any of the government schemes. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And all those other things that may have their podcast in their own right, we will, we will rattle through those as much as possible. So, Nick, over to you. The task okay. is yours.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Yes, this is speed dating on a podcast. <laughs> um, uh, let's start with the banks. And we've now had the latest results um, updates from pretty much all the, uh, the UK clearers, as one or two fringe banks. And in broad terms, they're reporting that their profits have halved as a result of uh, of their doubts that all the loans they've already made not not the business support loans that uh, under the government schemes but the normal commercial lending clearly a lot of that will go sour because it was to businesses that have had to close down temporarily and and those who will eventually undoubtedly
1: yeah. Fail. What period is that covering, Nick, just
0: remind us? That will be, broadly speaking, the last six months. Yeah. okay. Um, the, uh, the, the point here is, first of all, if they lose half their profits, this really isn't balance sheet threatening for the banks. What I'm much more worried about is what this is going to do to lending by the banks outside the government support schemes as we start to come out of when we start to come out of this. Now, I've been through, as an insolvency practitioner in a previous life, two major recessions, the 1990s one and the the great um, financial crash of 2008 and nine. And what is absolutely characteristic of lenders after a period like this is that um, they get beaten around the head by, by their workout and recovery departments For a long time, about mistakes they made that caused the the loan, the the crash in the first place. And so when they come out of it, they are understandably, I can't criticize them for it, very cautious about lending. The second problem I foresee is commercial lending um, in the UK, like many other places, is broadly speaking based on the really key factor is financial information, both historic. Um, audited accounts and current management accounts and future projections. If we are looking at lending officials in six months' time being asked for more money by one of the businesses that is back up and running and has survived, their historic figures will already be damaged by the early stage of the crisis. Their current management information will reveal hideous figures. And when the bank says, Yes, but what are you going to do in the next 12 months? There's going to be a sort of, uh. Uh how yeah, on earth do we know so i am really how worried
1: can they, can they judge that as well that's the other thing it's not only the business themselves saying well we're not sure but then the yeah. lender's got to 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 judge whether whatever they've said is
0: realistic or you know, i i know and and of course the thing is the old maxim in in, in banking is that um, you never you know you never make money without making mistakes but it will be cautious times and I, and i anticipate that um, that borrowers will find accessing funding six months, 12 months out from now really quite difficult. So and it's
1: hard, isn't it? I think because there's the other, the other tension at the moment. I was listening to some of the Bayes Select Committee hearings from yesterday where the point was being made that businesses are reluctant, and we've seen that from the um, the interruption loans. Businesses are reluctant to borrow now for survival because that's not really sustainable. You want to borrow for growth. You want to borrow to fund your the future, yes. and that, it's at that, exactly that point that the money is unlikely to be that's
0: right. Flowing well, you see, the, the the British Chambers of Commerce published a survey earlier this week which showed that 30% of their members who responded were unwilling to take out a loan under any government scheme at the moment because they didn't believe they would be able to repay them. And you know, everybody might think that entrepreneurs are gung ho, yes, they are. But not that gung ho, and so and reckless, isn't it? Almost it versions on the reckless. It would be reckless. Yeah. And these, you know, these people. Yeah. Very often, it's their own money in the sense that loans require personal guarantees and houses being put up as security. Um, you know, and, and even the most gung ho entrepreneur thinks twice about that.
1: Mm. And even so, with the even with the government saying well, we we won't take the personal guarantees for these loans, actually, I, I still think there's a there's a there's a principle, isn't there, behind? I think with lots of entrepreneurs, it feels like their own money yeah you know, even if the house maybe isn't on the line it's still reputation and everything else
0: um, of course of course it is of course it is so so we've got that the the um, and we'll see how that plays out but that's a long term mm. um issue with 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 the, f- the the free flow of money back into into commercial business uh, at mm. the end of this the second point you raise was this fascinating and um if if you're a long term um, long-term, um critic of the way private equity has behaved in certain sectors in the UK, then um, there was a certain sense of justice that it's dawned on the private equity community that the EU state rules, to which, of course, in transition we are still subject, means that if a business has lost more than half of its issued capital... In, in because of um, of trading losses or any other reason, mm-hmm. they no longer can be eligible for state aid. So the, the no. there is a technical term that escapes me at the moment in, in in the legislation in the European legislation. But basically, what it means is private equity because the setup the funding model is minimum equity, maximum debt means it doesn't take very long for the equity base half the equity base to disappear. Mm. So uh, my understanding is that there is frantic lobbying going on in Brussels to say, I'm really sorry, but this is an emergency. You can't do this. And if you think about who might be involved here, you are talking about most of the major care home operators have this sort of structure. Many leisure businesses have this sort of structure. Many retailers have this sort of structure up the top uh, So top precisely
1: those, those industries who are... That, ne- that need help.
0: That mm. need, need, need help. And, of course, this ties in to the other thing that we raised um, uh, briefly last week about um, the Danish and the French governments um, uh, raising another sort of hurrah from the critics of modern business by saying any company that is registered offshore cannot be eligible for state aid.
1: Now, that's interesting, isn't it? Because the UK haven't gone down that road. And again, PMQs on Wednesday this week, that, that question was asked. And Rob didn't really give any any feeling one way or the other. It felt to me like he was avoiding the question about what the British might do on that. But it's hard to see how public opinion isn't going to be yeah. take a pretty dim view of taxpayer money going to rescue people yeah. who have not paid taxes.
0: I agree i absolutely, absolutely agree so we'll see where where that one um, uh, that one goes uh, i think the other theme that's emerging over the last few days is the sheer difficulty of reopening the economy uh, because what you're getting is some extra i mean first of all the costs of Virus proofing and social distancing um, arrangements in. We already know what it's costing the supermarkets five hundred million at uh, at Sainsbury's, two hundred million at the Co-op. But you know, people like Primark. Um, uh, a lot of people are saying we can't open our smaller stores because it simply won't work on a social distancing mm. basis. You know, Greg's um, said they would reopen some of their stores for take takeaways. Um, And uh, now they've changed their mind because they fear crowds. And fascinating, the the pictures that are turning up on on the internet of restaurants being uh, restaurateurs trialing, setting up their premises for social distancing. Um, And I saw a wonderful thing of a hotel conference facility where a a conference conference, presentation room for 132 people was set out as it would have to be with social distancing and the capacity was down to 30. Oh my goodness. So, uh, you know, so, so I I think this is yet another reason why, oh, and of course the classic thing this morning, the CEO of the pub chain Fuller's 400 pubs saying, we're not going to reopen with social distancing because we think the very most, um, that we will gain by way of revenue is 20% of our normal, it is cheaper to keep them closed than to reopen them.
1: Yeah. And I think that is, that is the problem. I mean, we, we, um, we had the Amazon um, uh, results as <coughs> well, didn't we, about the, the, the amount of, of money. You know, you think that these, these retailers who must be doing spectacularly well on top line, but actually the increasing costs, yes. you pointed out with savings with and Co-op and Amazon saying as well, that it is, it's actually quite crippling, these these costs. Yeah. To implement the, the the social distancing that you you need to keep people safe,
0: and and and, and one last point before maybe we, we we begin to sort of wind down, um, what is co- what is emerging? It's been quite sharp this week. Is um, some indications that uh, you know there's been a lot of this rhetoric about things are never going to be the same after this. The the we're beginning to see the reality of that now. You have got. The John Lewis Partnership saying that they are actively examining the possibility of bringing in an outside investor and going into joint ventures to develop their business, the other side of this thing. It's completely unheard of. Mm-hmm. It would be a revolution for that company, You know, one of the most iconic retailers in the country. And you have Shell cut their dividend by 65%. Um, and, oh, it's
1: and, astonishing!
0: It's now, which is absolutely astonishing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody was amazed yeah. that BP didn't do it the week before. Now, mm-hmm. the point about Shell is that Shell have their borrowings, their debt has gone from a billion to seventy-three billion in the last fifteen years. They've paid out in that time two hundred and twenty billion pounds in dividends and share buybacks, and th- what this virus is doing. Is creating the opportunity for businesses that need fundamental changes to do something about it, mm. and you know, I, th- I think there's a lot of envy at, at BP that Shell have got away with doing what all the major oil companies that need to do, which is to stop, uh, which is to stop the drain on their finances in this situation from um, from rewarding shareholders.
1: And funding it by debt,
0: which is essentially... And funding it by debt. Which is, so I, I think, you know, we're seeing an awful lot of fundamental change going on. And also, I mean,
1: actually tied to the oil, obviously is the, the airlines, and we've got BA yes. announcing potentially 12,000 job cuts. Ryanair this morning, 3,000 job cuts. And I think that there's also this, this disconnect. You know, one of the things that we, we talked about just before we came on was this idea, the rhetoric at the moment is of businesses and government in it together working to, to, to take us through. But actually it's it becomes quite clear, quite now that that the ultimate goals for business and and government are quite different you know businesses that want to survive and survival means jobs but that's not the goal for for the government they want people in jobs they want tax revenue they want to not be paying social security on the other side and so i think we will find this 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 clash between businesses hunkering down for survival and not wanting to take on enormous amounts of debt in yes. the meantime, to just alive yep. and governments trying to encourage businesses to do just just that so they're not having to pick up at an enormous social cost on the other um on the other side.
0: Yes, I think I think if you wanted a summary of where, where we're getting to now, six weeks in, is we've had the shock and awe. Now I think unfortunately, we're in for a period of disappointment. We're in for a time when um hopefully the health news will get better but we're moving into a phase where the full reality of the impact on the economy is going to be uh, become clear and anybody who still thinks this is a v-shaped recovery with a with a q3 bounce back had uh, better go away and take a dose of reality
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're right, Nick. I would normally do the conclusion, but I think that, I think you've, you've summed it up (laughs) there. I think that is, that is really where we, um, we are. It's, you know, it's not somewhere where any of us want to be, but I think that is actually the, um, the, the reality of the situation. So I'm conscious that we're, we're coming up to our 50, we might even got over our 50 minutes. So I shall, (laughs) I shall wind up there. Thank you so much again for our, our whistle stop. Um Tor, it's great to great to speak to you. The highlight of my, my week always these these podcasts. Um, it's very kind. Uh, thank you. So thank you so much, Nick. And thank you everybody to, to listening. Again, if there are any topics you'd like us to, to cover that we may have touched on that we, we could elaborate on more, please do let us know. Um, drop us a note via uh, Twitter or a company watch. Thank you again very much, Nick. Thank you all to listening sure. and bye-bye. Mm-hmm.